We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and the 12th chapter, the book of Hebrews and the 12th chapter this morning. I'll be reading and preaching this morning on verses 1 and 2. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I encourage you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time together today. We thank you for this day appointed for worship. We would ask for the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. May he guide us and grant us an understanding of this text today and help us by your grace, to apply it in such a way that our thoughts are enlivened and changed and our behavior is transformed into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we celebrate the beginning of a new year and a new opportunity to set our focus and our priorities firmly upon the things of Jesus Christ. And to assist us in this process, I want to exhort us this morning to consider with a renewed emphasis and vision ten words. Ten words as they are counted here in our English translations. And these ten words are found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And they are these words. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. For in these ten words we not only find a stirring exhortation, but an endless source and wealth of spiritual strength and encouragement. In fact, in thinking about these words this past week, I came to the conviction that it would be beneficial for us this morning to delay our return to our series in First Peter for another week in order to remind us of the importance of this timely exhortation. Whereas your pastor, I always want to be setting before you what you need, not only to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, but also what you need to remain steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I believe that Scripture is clear that it is only by looking to Jesus in the way that the writer to the Hebrews instructs us to do that you and I, as Christians, can run the race that is set before us into this new year well. So I feel duty-bound in a sense this morning to exhort us with these ten words in hopes that you and I will not only determine by God's grace to be wise stewards of this new year, but to do so with a Christ-centeredness 
and Christ focus that glorifies Jesus Christ and enables us to run this race with endurance. But before we break down these ten words and examine them and apply them this morning, we must consider why they were written in the first place. And as you know, I trust the book of Hebrews was written for the express purpose of admonishing certain Jewish Christians who were being tempted to turn their gaze away from the person of Jesus Christ, and the writer is exhorting them not to do that. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews asked the question in chapter 2 and verse 3 of this book, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Because turning away from Jesus, looking back away from Jesus, and to the Jewish religion and its ceremonial system for an easier way was not an option for the true Christian. For to return to the types and shadows and ceremonies of the Old Testament after one had already been exposed to the fulfillment of those things in Christ was to neglect so great a salvation from God. Therefore, throughout the course of this book of Hebrews, the writer makes persistent arguments which are interweaved with passionate warnings showing that Jesus Christ is the prophet that we are to listen to. Jesus Christ is the priest that we are to trust in, and he is the king that we are to obey, and we are to continue to hold fast to him. In fact, the writer's message, by the time he gets to chapter 10 and verse 24, is powerfully summarized in one exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Therefore, as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter immediately before our text this morning, it discusses the importance of faith. You're familiar with that. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about faith that perseveres. It's a faith that is not just faith in general, nor do the men and women who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 have a faith in just any object, but rather their faith was that faith that looked forward to the fulfillment of God's promises in who? In Jesus Christ. For Christ was and is the ultimate object of their faith. In fact, there's much I'd like to say about Hebrews 11 as an introduction to the text this morning. But we can see most clearly that the focus is upon Jesus Christ in the account of Moses and his faith, which is given in verses 24 through 26 of Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, you can just look at Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 and 25 and 26, as it talks about the, the Christ-centered faith of Moses. For we read, beginning in verse 24, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of who? Christ 
greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, the object of Moses' faith, the one that Moses was looking to for his reward, was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And did Moses have a full-orbed understanding of all that Jesus would say and do as it was revealed in the New Testament? No, he did not. For less had been revealed to Moses in his day than you and I know today, but this much is clear about what Moses knew. He knew that having Christ as the object of his faith and that being reproached for having such faith in Christ was better than all the treasures of Egypt. For all the treasures of Egypt, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, would not last, would not endure. But knowing Jesus and the fulfillment of all God's saving promises through him was a far greater and far more lasting reward. And of course, if we were to study the whole of Hebrews chapter 11, and maybe by the grace of God, one day we will work our way through this chapter, we would see that Jesus Christ is at the center of it all. He's at the center of it all. For the noble witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11 are, are not witnesses to the power of human resolve or even to the necessity of having faith in God in general but rather they are witnesses to the superiority and the power of that faith that never stops looking to Jesus Christ. That's what's remarkable about the faith of Hebrews 11. It never stops looking forward to Christ. Despite the trials, the opposition, the mocking, the beatings, the stonings, the imprisonments, the persecutions, the losses, true persevering faith constantly looks to Jesus for Jesus is the object of the true believer's faith. Therefore, it should come as no surprise to us, brethren, that as we come to Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we're at this morning, that the writer grounds his exhortation in this same need to be looking to Jesus. The same thing that was explained and expressed and illustrated in Hebrews 11 we are now being exhorted to do here in Hebrews chapter 12. Of course, before he does this, he puts the Christian life in the context of a race. Of a race. The same race that was run by the Old Testament saints in Hebrews chapter 11. The same race that requires a constant looking to Jesus. For there is only one race and there is only one prize. It is the race of faith, and the prize is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. And New Covenant believers, as readers of this epistle to the Hebrews, and as 21st Christians like you and I, 21st century Christians like you and I, are urged here in verse 1 of chapter 12, to see ourselves as participants in this race as well. Notice that. You and I are engaged in this race. And today, beginning with this new year, that race continues. 
And as participants in this race, we are not to see ourselves as competing against one another, but as those who are competing against those things that would hinder us from seeing Jesus and hinder us from persevering towards the prize of Christ himself. Notice here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12 how this call to compete is actually framed. Notice verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And while it is not my purpose to expound extensively and exclusively on verse 1, but primarily on the 10 words that I shared with you earlier, several observations here are certainly in order as we look at verse 1. First, let us notice that Christ has not left himself without a witness. He has not left himself without a witness, without witnesses to testify to us throughout Scripture, without witnesses to say to us, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. For in referring here in verse 1 to that great cloud of witnesses that surround us, the Hebrew writer is not referring to some group of glorified saints who are sitting up in the heavens watching us and urging us on, nor are they witnessing to themselves nor commending themselves for their own faith, but rather this is a reference to those witnesses of which the saints mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 are a sample who looked to Jesus Christ. And since there are such witnesses that do surround us, in fact, many of these witnesses come at us from all different sides and different angles and different directions throughout Scripture, we should run as they did. Given that many, by the grace of God, were able to run this race before us, given that many have testified to us, look to Jesus as well. We as well should be running this race. We should see ourselves as competing in it. I ask you this morning, believer, do you see yourself in this race? Do you understand that you're called to compete? Do you understand that you're called to race? with endurance. Secondly, we see here in verse 1, by way of brief observation, that there are potential impediments and hindrances in this race of faith. There are those weights that can slow us down. These must be discarded in whatever form that they take. In fact, one commentator writes, as the athlete disciplines himself, to discard everything that would impede his progress in the contest in which he has entered, so also every weight must be laid aside for the Christian in the Christian race. Even the immoderate use of that which is not of itself sinful can become a great hindrance to the Christian. Thus the Christian must always at all times rid himself of anything that would retard him. Oh, Christian friends, if you had to identify one thing that weighed you down in the race this past year, what would it be? What would it be? Just one thing that weighed you down, that 
hindered you, that impeded you this past year, what would it be? And if you could run and compete better in this year by actually laying aside that weight, would you do it? Would you do it? I trust that you would if it would enable you to run with greater endurance. And then let us not forget as well this statement about sin which clings so closely. Sin which clings so closely. Let us notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't mention any specific sin because the sins that hinder us often differ between us. And what hinders one Christian may be of less of a hindrance to another Christian. However, what is certain is that sin, like weights of every kind, can hinder the Christian runner. Sin can impede our endurance. And it's likely that the weight that was impeding these Hebrew Christians being addressed here was the fear of further hurt and persecution. And the sin that clung so closely was that of turning back. So the Hebrew writer urges them here in, in the rest of verse 1, let us also, notice he includes himself, let us, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. And why endurance? Again, every word is significant, right? Why endurance? Because as one commentator states, and I think you know this from experience by now, the Christian life is not a short sprint, but it's a long-distance contest. It's a course to be run. It is a prize to be won. It is a long forward looking at the person of Jesus Christ. A long forward looking. Of course, this is made even more evident in the first 10 words of verse 2, which again is our main text for consideration this morning. Again, I, I bring, to these, bring to your attention these, these verses, these words. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For now that we have seen that the whole argument of Hebrews as an inspired book of Scripture is to point us to the person of Jesus Christ, we want to consider this exhortation in some detail. For in these ten words here in verse 2, we find the object of our faith. We find the secret of our endurance. We find the spring of our refreshment. We find the source of our stability. We find the guarantee that we shall, by God's enabling grace, finish our course. For in this blessed exhortation, we are told how and to whom we are to be looking. In fact, what we have here in the Greek text to begin this statement of ten words, is a present participle indicating what we are to be continually doing while we are in the process of running the race. And as we are in the process of running the race, we are to be continually looking ahead intently. For the runner must keep his eyes focused ahead, not looking to the right, not looking to the left, not fixated upon the individuals behind him or her, but fixed on the prize that lies at the end of the course. 
For the believer, what lies at the end, what constitutes the prize, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. For this exhortation here, in all of its simplicity and in all of its beauty, is a call to be constantly looking to him. Constantly having our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus. And of course, to to understand this exhortation in the light of our Christian experience, we, we must consider for a moment what kind of looking, what kind of looking is actually being urged here? I'm going to draw some distinctions, and I think these are important for us to consider, so please listen carefully. For the writer to the Hebrews here is not exhorting us to what's called an ocular looking. Now, maybe you've never heard that word before, ocular. He's not exhorting us to an ocular looking or a looking to Jesus with our physical eyes. That's not the kind of looking that he's exhorting us to. For Jesus has already ascended far above and beyond what you and I can see with our physical sight. You and I could strain our physical eyes all day to see Christ and not see him physically. He now sits exalted on the right hand of God the Father, as this same verse, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, goes on to declare. Nor is the writer of this letter urging us to conjure up some mental image of Jesus or to try to imagine what he may look like and try to be sustained by that. For no mere image manufactured in in our thinking or in our imaginations could do Jesus Christ justice. Nor do we possess the freedom to picture Jesus in our minds and our imaginations in any way that we might wish. No, if Jesus as the prize set before us is to be seen properly, and he must be seen properly, he must be seen in the way that Scripture commands us. In the way that Scripture commands us. He must be seen through the eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith. For the looking that we are exhorted to, to be constantly engaging here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, is the looking of faith. The looking of faith. It involves the concepts of believing and trusting and clinging to. In fact, Isaac Ambrose, a Puritan writer, explained it this way. He wrote, by looking to here, we mean an inward knowing, an inward desiring, hoping, believing, loving, a calling on Jesus, a conforming to Jesus. It is not a bare, swimming knowledge of Christ. And you ask this morning, what in the world? is a bare, swimming knowledge of Christ. Well, a bare, swimming knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that just slides over the top or the surface of the water, like a swimmer who's swimming on top of the water. That is a bare, swimming knowledge of Christ. And sadly, this is the kind of knowledge that some possess. It is simply a a surface knowledge of Christ. It is simply a superficial knowledge knowledge of Christ at best. 
nor is looking to Jesus a bare thinking of Christ. It's not a swimming knowledge of Christ, and it's not a, a bare thinking of Christ. Now, what is a, a bare thinking of Christ? Well, a bare thinking of Christ is that thinking that is reduced down to a comfortable minimum and that is overly simplistic. For it does not understand, nor does it consider the fullness of Christ's person and Christ's attributes. And some possess this kind of faith as well. A bare swimming knowledge of Christ. A bare thinking of Christ. Those are not the things that we're called to. Those will not lead us forward. Those will not satisfy us. Those will not cause us to endure. But looking to Jesus in the biblical sense, is that thinking that believes all that Scripture says about Christ and sees him in all of his beauties through the eyes of faith and through the illuminating lens of Holy Scripture. For through faith and Scripture, we see him who is now not visible to our physical eyes. Of course, when I read this definition by Isaac Ambrose, my thoughts immediately go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 to its testimony about the faith of Moses who looked to Christ. For in that verse, it states, by faith, he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. Moses endured. Moses went on and on and on in faith as seeing him who is invisible. And thus, in this exhortation, looking unto Jesus, we are simply being instructed to look to Jesus in the same way that we are instructed to look to him elsewhere, by faith. By faith. For now, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now you and I run by faith and not by sight. Oh, dear Christian friend, there will come a day when we will see Jesus Christ through glorified eyes. For Job declared by faith in Job 19 and verse 26, Though after my skin or flesh is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, is true for us. But for now... You and I run the race looking unto Jesus by faith. By faith. And lest we get discouraged that our faith is not yet sight, let us remember our Lord's words to Thomas in John chapter 20 and verse 29. For there Jesus said to Thomas, who had the distinct privilege of seeing the resurrected Jesus with his own physical eyes, these words. He said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, clearly there is a superior blessing for those who have yet to see, but who continue to run with endurance the race that is set before them. In addition, we're told here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that as we are constantly looking forward towards him by faith, we are to see him, we are to recognize Jesus Christ as being two things. Notice the text here in verse 2. We are to see him as the founder 
and the perfecter of our faith. The founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now let's take a moment to consider the meaning and the implications of these words for our faith today. First, by way of explanation, some would interpret this expression, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as a statement about the faith of Jesus and about how his faith paves the way and has provided the ultimate example of what enduring faith is like. In fact, those who hold to this interpretation point out that the Greek word, the noun that's translated founder here, can also be translated pioneer, one who goes out in front, one who paves the way. And the word perfecter can also be used in reference to someone who has perfected something through his own actions. And so some suggest that the message here in this expression is that by his own obedient, enduring faith while on this earth, Jesus led the way for our faith. By his completed work of faith on the cross, Jesus perfected what it means to live and to die by faith. For Jesus alone, they suggest, is the supreme and perfect example of one who ran by faith. So in other words, they see Jesus Christ as the one who is the example of enduring here. Therefore, if you and I, in our own struggles to run with endurance, need an example to look to, they say to us, be looking to Christ. Be looking to Christ. The example of Jesus is the source of motivation for the Christian. We continually run because we want to be like him. We want to trust in his Father fully. We want to take up our cross. We want to follow Jesus. In fact, one commentator went so far as to write these words. The only thing that will ever get us moving along the path of self-denial and the path of discipleship is fixing our eyes on Jesus and what he has done for us, and coming to love Jesus as a result. For Jesus is the only possible model for self-denial. He is the very image of cross-bearing. It is for love of him and the desire to be like him that we take up our cross for him. So again, some see this expression, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as pointing to the faith of Jesus, to his faith, not necessarily our faith, to his faith, as if the writer was saying, run with a Christ-like faith the race that is set before you. However, a second possible interpretation of what the writer means by this expression, the founder and perfecter of our faith, is that we are to be constantly looking to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. Notice the word our faith. In fact, the writers of the English Standard Version are convinced that this is the correct interpretation of this passage because they use the word our here in the passage. Because the actual context here would seem to suggest that we should be looking constantly to Jesus, given that our faith, again, not his faith, although his faith is a wonderful example, our faith is the product of and directly influenced by his work as its founder and perfecter. 
or to put it another way, maybe a simpler way, we should be looking to Jesus because he is the one who founded or established our faith. And Jesus Christ is the one who will actually complete or bring to perfection our faith. I think this is a better interpretation. I think the ESV translators are right by using this expression, our faith. Although it's interesting to note that the word our is not in the Greek text, but the context supplies the suggestion that our faith is what is being examined here. So what it's basically saying is Jesus is the one who establishes our faith, not us. Jesus is the one who perfects our faith, not us. Of course, this is a different way of viewing faith than many hold today, isn't it? There are many individuals in our day who see their faith as their unique and entirely human contribution to their own salvation. To even suggest that God would have the exclusive role of beginning our faith and completing our faith would make some people feel very uncomfortable. Some people seem to be reluctant to give God that much credit. Although the writer to the Hebrews has no reservations in giving all the credit and all the glory to the sovereignty of God. Just taking this text at its face value begs two questions. Is God the founder in terms of being the initiator or the cause of his people's faith? And if he is, then this verse, Hebrews 12.2, is saying something quite remarkable. It also asks the question, is God the perfecter of his people's faith in terms of the one who maintains it, in, the, in terms of the one who ensures that it perseveres to the end? Because he, if he is the perfecter in that sense, and he does just that, then this verse is very thought-provoking to say the least. Let's consider these questions and their implications, beginning with the fact that Jesus is presented here in Hebrews 12, 2, as the founder, the beginner, the initiator of our faith. And in what sense is Jesus the founder or the beginner or the initiator of our faith? Well, first in the sense that according to the word of God, you and I were chosen for salvation through the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Let me read it for you. But we were bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning from the beginning, chose you for salvation through what means? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which you are called by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to Paul, salvation is given to us in Christ even before we had a beginning. We read also in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, that it was God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began, unquote. The application of God's purpose and grace towards us came through the manifestation of faith in us. 
And of course, since Jesus is the one who gave us faith, given that he is the founder, the source, and the initiator of our faith, it makes sense for the writer to exhort us to continue looking to him. If he's the one who established it, if he's the one who gave it to us, then he's the one we should be looking to. For he gave us faith to begin with, and he will never despise that faith that we do have, even if it is weak and feeble, because it's a faith that he has given to us. Because he is the founder and initiator of that faith, he will not allow that faith to fail. He will not allow that faith to cease to function. He who gave us saving faith to begin with always refreshes that faith so that it thrives. Therefore, those who are without faith this morning, I say to you, look to Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives faith. He is the one who establishes faith. Cry out to Jesus. Say to Jesus, my unbelief is all that I have. Take it away. But dear Jesus, founder and establisher of faith, give me faith instead. Then watch as our gracious Savior, as he creates light where it once was dark and life where it once was death and faith where it once was unbelief. And to you, weary runner, weary Christian runner, who can only see the smallest faith and the weakest faith in your life with regard to yourself, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Look to Jesus. Keep your gaze upon him, for he will not break the bruised reed or the bruised runner or that mouth. He will not quench the smoking flax or the gasping, exhausted competitor. But Jesus Christ will sustain you. Jesus Christ will refresh you as you continue looking to him. Oh, do not doubt this promise reserved for you in Philippians 1.6. For he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And of course, this leads us directly to our second and our our final question and its implications, and that being, in what sense is Jesus the perfecter of our faith? In what sense is Jesus the perfecter of our faith? Well, I think that three things should be said here, and I trust that these statements will be a source of real encouragement to us especially in light of some popular misconceptions about the analogy of a race and what is really at stake for us. First, some have mistaken the analogy of a race here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 and have taken it much too far. They have suggested that since we are in a race and it's an important race, everything is at stake even our salvation. In fact, maybe you've talked to someone in the past who's expressed this view that this race is really talking about the race of salvation. They suggest that this race can be lost if we don't run well. But may I point out, and if I had more time this morning, I would expound further on this, that the one that we are looking to 
the one that we are running towards has already finished the work of salvation. This is not a race for your salvation, for my salvation. No, the one we're running to has already completed that work. He's already accomplished that salvation. In fact, the next verse, verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, assures us that through Christ's humiliation and exaltation to glory, he has purchased full pardon and salvation for his people. For Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of God the Father. And of course, Jesus is now seated because there's no more work to do. The work has already been done. Therefore, by being exhorted here in verses 1 and 2 to run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, we're, we're not being exhorted to finish something that Jesus merely started or that Jesus could not finish, but rather we are to see Jesus as the finisher of our faith as the one who has already perfected it, as the one who loudly cried out in John chapter 19 and verse 30, it is finished. Therefore, on the matter of your justification, believer, you are not in any race. In the matter of your justification, you are not in any race. There is no salvation prize to obtain you are already seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. You already possess full and unrestricted access to the heavenlies where Christ does now dwell. But with respect to your sanctification, your growth in grace, your progress in grace, you are still in a race. I am still in a race which the writer of Hebrews mentions here in our sermon text today. So yes, there is much at stake in this race, not salvation, but sanctification. God gives the grace to his people to prevail in that race. Then there's another way, a second way that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, and that is Jesus sustains our faith. Jesus sustains our faith to the end so that it will not fail. In fact, just as his physical world is being upheld by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, so is the faith of his people. Think about that statement again. Just as the physical world is being upheld by the word of his power, so is your faith being upheld my faith is being upheld by the word of his power. For our faith, which is given by his power, shall not fail. For all of God's people receive from Jesus Christ the same spirit of faith, and that spirit of faith does not leave. But most importantly, with respect to what keeps our faith from faltering or failing entirely, are the prayers of Jesus Christ himself. Our faith will not fail because Jesus is praying for us. Jesus always lives to intercede for us so that our faith will not fail. In fact, this was the case with Simon Peter. You'll remember that Satan desired to sift Peter like wheat, according to Luke chapter 22 and verse 30, but Jesus said this to Peter, 
but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Or we could literally say that your faith will not fail. And indeed, Jesus prayed for the perseverance of all who would believe. In John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus Christ makes the same prayer for all of his disciples, and even for those who would believe after them, that their faith would not fail. Jesus continues to pray for your faith. He continues to pray for your perseverance, for your endurance in the faith today. Where this same writer to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, that he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. And so can our faith as true believers ultimately fail? No. It cannot ultimately fail. In fact, our, our Confession of Faith, chapter 14, paragraph 3, entitled Of Saving Faith, gives us a straightforward and very encouraging answer to this question, where it says, This faith may exist in various degrees, so that it may be weak or strong. Yet even in its weakest form, it is different in kind or nature from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. Therefore, faith may often be attacked, faith may be weakened, but it gains the victory. It matures in many to a point that they may obtain full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Notice our particular Baptist forefathers in making this point quote this very passage that I'm preaching from today, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to support the fact that our faith will not fail. And so our faith cannot ultimately fail because the nature of true faith is such that it does prevail. But more importantly, it's victorious because of Jesus. In fact, before our faith could fail, Christ must fail. Before our faith could fail, Christ must fail. We know that Christ will not fail. He will not fail. Christ has already ascended to the right hand of the throne of God the Father as the finisher, as the perfecter of our faith. Why have I gone to such pains to emphasize this morning our Lord's exalted roles as the founder and perfecter of our faith? The reason is very simple. Because I long for you and I to be looking to Jesus far more in this new year. To be looking to Jesus far more than we did last year. Or looking to Jesus Christ in this way, understanding that he is the founder of your faith, understanding that he is the perfecter of your faith, the sustainer of your faith, will change the way you run the race. Change the way I run the race as well. And maybe if we could just see the beauties of Jesus Christ as the founder and perfecter of our faith, a little more clearly we would see more growth and more stability in our lives, in our family, and in our church. I conclude this morning with a sermon from Charles Haddon Spurgeon 
a quote from a sermon from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a sermon he entitled, The Rule of the Race. The Rule of the Race. And I happen to know by being a reader of history and of the history of Charles Haddon Spurgeon that he was quite an animated preacher. He just didn't stand in one place and speak in monotone voice. But he was a passionate preacher and quite animated. And so I think he would have pronounced these words in this sermon with some pathos and enthusiasm. So if you'll give me the liberty to do that this morning, I'm going to put some pathos and enthusiasm in these final words that are offered to us by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes, Run, believer! Run! Run the race before you. Run that you may be nearer to Jesus Christ by faith. Seek after a far more near and dear fellowship with Jesus Christ. He is not far away. Look up yonder. Look up yonder by faith and see him and look to him and run to him. He's your master. He's your savior. He's your redeemer. He's the sustainer of your faith. And while you are looking, may you, by the grace of God, be transformed into his glorious image. And I repeat that in a softer voice in closing. Run. Run. The race is set before you in this new year. You have choices to make. You have a path to decide. You have decisions about where you're going to look and draw your strength and resources. You have decisions about where you're not going to look. And the exhortation of this text is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, and as you see him with the eyes of faith, run to him. Run to him. Don't walk. Don't hesitate. Run to Christ. Run the race of endurance. And may he, Jesus Christ, receive all of you. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today, and we would ask that you would bless all that we've heard today for our spiritual good, that through examining this passage of Scripture today, we would be resolved by your grace to run the race better this coming year and to do so in the strength of your Spirit. So please bless us. Help us not to simply hear these words today, and turn away, but may your word take root in our hearts. May it grow and bear forth much fruit to the glory of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.